Hi everyone, this is Faye from Face World Media, and I'm here with Oz du Soleil. Oz, so good to have you here. Let me give everyone a brief introduction. We're gonna hop right into today's juicy conversation. All right. So, <laughs> so first of all, Oz is the host of a YouTube channel called Excel on Fire, where Oz brings uh, a fun, dramatic, humorous approach to teaching Excel. Oz is the author of several books and has presented Excel topics and masterclasses at conferences in Amsterdam, uh, Sofia, Bulgaria, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Toronto, Canada, and cities around the United States and Australia. When Oz is in elbows deep in the guts of a spreadsheet, he does storytelling around Portland, Oregon, where he resides, and he has told stories on stage for Risk, Pants on Fire, Seven Deadly Sins, Pickathon, The Moth, and the other storytelling shows. And today, I'm just so excited to be talking about a variety of topics with Oz, including but not limited to Excel on Fire, Excel MVP, what it's like to be a YouTuber and struggles with the algorithms, um, you know, creating courses on LinkedIn and specifically Oz has developed really this body of knowledge and has been making a living on not just Excel, but this is like a very important element of it. But last but not least, storytelling. The interesting is I've spoken with a lot of technologists and, um, uh, you know, people who are really good with tech in general. And that just doesn't seem to drive very well with storytelling, which I think it's such an important element of running a business. And influence of Seth Godin, someone we both love and adore. And so please, if you're watching this, wherever you are on social media or YouTube, please leave us any questions you have. And uh, here we go. Oz, welcome. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's a lot. And yeah, a lot of a lot of good topics that I'm looking forward to talking with you about. Mm. Let's yeah. let's talk about MVP. Let's talk about Excel MVP. Like what you know, okay. that was my first question, Oz. Like I didn't know what it was. So right. help us understand. Right. Well, um I think the MVP program with Microsoft is nearly 30 years old or somewhere like that. Mm -hmm. But um what it is is most valuable professional. Okay. Um Every Microsoft product has a contingent of MVPs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like uh, Azure, Power BI, Word, PowerPoint. Um, and we're chosen for skill, but also our community contributions is what it's called. Like having these conversations, uh, my YouTube channel, blogging, helping people on forums, speaking at meetup groups. Um, so, and that's, that winds up being the big deal because uh, a lot of people have the skill, but not everybody is out sharing the knowledge and helping uh, evangelize for the program. But then it's the evangelizing for the program is not like being a yes person, right? Mm -hmm. Because we criticize the hell out of these things sometimes. And we, um, so, okay. So a person has to be nominated to be an MVP. And then there's this black box. We don't know who or how mm -hmm. they decide um, 
to accept somebody as an MVP. And there's about 75 Excel MVPs in the world. Mm-hmm. And what that means for me is having direct access to the engineers that make the product and have an influence on its future. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I've had people ask me to nominate them. And then I want to know, why do you want to be an MVP? Mm-hmm. Well, because it can help my career. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, that's, that's really self-serving. And the second thing is a lot of people don't know what the hell an MVP is. Mm-hmm. Right. So I can't, I, it's not helped my career directly, but to be able to talk with the engineers and see a lot of NDA kind of stuff, what they're planning to come out in the next month or in the next five years. And then us MVPs get to say, that's ridiculous. Why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Or, whoa, you got to hurry up and get that out because I can see immediate use for that. Mm. Uh, you know, and bringing up something in these sessions with the engineers. So, you know what? If there was this little small thing, it would be so beautiful because of this situation I had here, situation mm-hmm. here, situation here. Um, and they listen. Mm. Um, so I can point to things where I've had direct influence in what's in Excel today. Um, the engineers know me. I was surprised to find out that they watch my videos. On YouTube? Um, where do they watch yeah. them? Uh, on YouTube. Yep. Wow. Um, and then they contact me and they ask me questions. They ask me, do I have other kind of use cases for what I showed in a mm. video? Um, and then being on little teams where somebody, one of the engineers is thinking about doing something in Excel and um, they need more input. Mm. And they'll tell us over and over again, we're here in Redmond making the thing. You all are out there in the streets seeing what's going on <laughs> and we need you, you know? You make Excel sound so fun. I even the way you talk about it, I think people hop on and not sure exactly what we're talking about. It's like, are they talking about an ice cream chain or like the next <laughs> seafood restaurant? We're not so sure. Like people on the street, what are they talking about? Yeah. And how long have you had this passion for Excel? I know you've written numerous books, collaborations, and yeah. uh you've been at this for, for a little while. Like, how did you even stumble upon this what was that moment where you realized well oh, this this is something and for people who are watching you have developed a full-time career on your own living anywhere you want work anywhere yeah. you want yeah that is not trivial that is work of a lifetime for and all I'm, of us. yeah and i'm very appreciative of that mm-hmm. i do not take that for granted and i do realize the rarity of this situation this this life that I get to live, but uh, the passion. There's different phases to that. So first <laughs> of all, um, I was working in a call center and hating life. I hated the job, and I hated when I would get up and go to the bathroom and I come back and my supervisor has put on my chair this report saying that my calls were too long, that I was taking too much time between calls, um, and it was constant. And then I'm sitting here thinking how hard I'm working. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, my supervisor, the director of the department, they got they aren't gonna want to hear, but I'm working. Mm-hmm. They've got data. I mm-hmm. need some data. So then I figured and 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 I was I was I know that I was being an asshole when I did this. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm gonna write down every doggone thing I do for a week. Mm-hmm. And then we'll all see what's where my time is going. And then um I, I was writing it in a notebook. Then mm-hmm. I started to see patterns. And then I had this thing called Excel with all these cells in it that I could sort. And and so I started taking stuff off of the notebook, putting it in Excel, and then I noticed patterns. Somebody called to ask about a class. Somebody called up, knew what they wanted, placed an order. Somebody else called, and they've got a whole lot of questions about books. Keep me on the phone for about 10 minutes asking me all these questions and then they don't buy anything the whole you know i'll think about it and maybe i'll call back later type of stuff mm-hmm. um then i'd get I, I even wrote it down if somebody wound up in the wrong place i did securities and insurance somebody starts asking me for uh about um real estate say so you're in the wrong queue so i gotta forward them to that queue i wrote that down um and the surprise was how much tech support calls I was taking. And those calls were long. Um, And once I had all of that stuff in there and then I had them in some crude categories and then I made some ugly pie charts and some counts of this, these things. Mm -hmm. um, I said, okay, what do I do now? I sent it to the president of the company. I skipped over my supervisor, the director, vice president, went straight <laughs> president of the company. And it's one of those things about, okay, am I willing to die in this ditch? The answer to this one was yes. If I get walked down to HR for this, then fine. But I was fed up. But the response people didn't know how much tech support was coming into the center. Mm -hmm. They saw every call as here, take my money. Mm -hmm. And no, no, maybe, maybe not even a quarter of the calls were that. So many calls were about, um, I took this course with Al and I need to retake the course. Where's Al teaching again in Southern California? Oh, he's not teaching for a long time. Well, what about Arizona? Oh, so those were the types of calls that were coming in. Mm. And when I showed that to the president of the company, he took that seriously. And there were some changes made. Eventually, tech support calls were um, outsourced to a whole different call center that that was not us. Um they realigned how the call center worked. Um, There's so many changes happened. And so that showed me the power of data. Wow. With, when you yeah, this, by the way? This, we're going back to like um, 2004, five, somewhere around there. Wow. You were working at a call center in 2004 yeah. or five. Yeah. Wow. I remember yeah. you wrote, but you wrote a book in 19, in 99, I think oh, some, Lord. 
was like data management. I actually saw that. So I have thought that this conversation, you know, what you just experienced will have to come before then, but you were already pretty well experienced with, with Excel sounds like. Well, um, when I did that in 2004, 2005, mm-hmm. that was the first real thing I did with Excel. Mm-hmm. Prior to, I mean, like, like solid, any type of building a graph or something. Prior to that, I had done data entry into Excel. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, I did a temp job at a yo-yo company. And it was just typing stuff into Excel. Um, mm-hmm. And then eventually just... Uh, doing some basic stuff, some, you know, if statements and sums and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then when I got mad about, you know, my performance, um, that's when I started to see, okay, um, I can put things into categories mm-hmm. and then I can do a count if, and um, I didn't know about pivot tables at that point. I didn't know about the no-no of doing pie charts that have, you know, like nine slices in them. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I know that now, but it was the response that really got me was like, people listen to data. People are going to mm-hmm. listen. Doggone it. Why you keep bothering me with these papers? I'm sick of them. Yeah, I, yeah. You know? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I think uh, you reminded me when I was still at the very beginning of my career, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Dwight Blass. And uh, he, you know, sort of for us to argue about like how we spend our time and, you know, and and I remember like salary negotiation, all these things. He always used data. We're both like 23 at the time and he will pull data and immediately uh, shut up anyone. And they look at it as like, oh, I guess you are working overtime. Oh, I, I guess the other departments are, oh, I remember it was promotions of uh, people in California uh, somehow are getting promoted much more frequently. I never realized the power of even sometimes simple data uh, that mm-hmm. could, how easily, uh, how much more easily it could actually convince people. So um, with that said, I think what I really find your story to be super compelling to me is I love for my podcast, for Phase World to be discovering not just people constantly being talked about in newspaper or hot news and uh, we're newsjacking in general. I just, I'm just fascinated after speaking with you then that night after it was late for us to join uh, Paul's event. I think it's a, a personal assistant conference. I forgot the name exactly, but right. yes, yes, yes. Right. It was, yeah, exactly. The PA conference. And mm-hmm. it was 1130 my time. It was really like 830 where you, where you were. Yeah. And we were, I remember you said, Oh, you know, I teach courses on LinkedIn. And uh, after we talked, I went to LinkedIn, I was blown away by the sheer volume of courses that you have created. And gosh, how many people registered and are currently attending the courses and then the positive reviews. So which means people, there are tens of thousands of people in your courses, and they give you these like five star reviews. And uh, I will conclude with this. I, I watch one of the, you know, promo reel, like before you commit to a course, and then you can actually interact with the I seriously, I laughed. I just thought to myself, like, like how how interesting could you make an Excel course be? I mean, mm. just like you got to be God or something. Mm. And so, <laughs> you know, I watch, and then in your introduction, you're very sincere. And at one point, you said, you know, 
when they date are coming at you or nasty. And <laughs> I cracked up so bad uh, because uh -huh. every time you're so sincere. And when you, the moment you said that, that's the, the relationship I've always had with Excel is that the date is always coming at us really yeah. nasty. What mm -hmm. do you know? It's like a car accident. It's like what, it is not a good feeling, jokes aside, that a lot of people uh, interact with, whether, frankly, it doesn't matter, it's Excel, or lately Zoom or, or Google Drive, that people just have these things they can't overcome. It is a negative feeling, like a feeling in your gut about right. Excel, but then you're there to help them out. And then it yes. just, it changes their yes. primary modality like just look like, incredible all right and, i'm done yeah yeah and that's and that's thank you for that um because that's important to me to empower people getting getting people alive and then and see that there is possibility and give people permission to do things a long crude way mm -hmm. don't look at somebody's really concise function a formula with an obscure function and say oh why am i writing not, not doing that stuff mm -hmm. no it's it's a slow evolution um take time but but develop a persona where you can beat this thing you can whoop it mm -hmm. you know you say okay crap data Okay, you're full of all these duplicates. I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna find you, and you're gonna be sorry. <laughs> oh, you okay? damn duplicates! Exactly. That's right. That's right. Yes. And and just and that's that's how I feel, and that's how the passion, mm -hmm. you know, because you you asked me about where I started and then where the passion come from. The passion, um, and when I started solving problems in Excel, long-standing problems, um, or my act, my reports in Excel were more accurate than the ones coming out of the company database with all the IT teams and the mm. SQL code and stuff. Mm. My stuff was more accurate. And this lady, uh, she was an administrator for a company that was a major client of ours. Mm -hmm. She was always mad <laughs> because stuff was wrong. We, because we would have to look at um, who completed these certifications in the previous month and send out this fancy certificate and this gold pin. Mm -hmm. And she would always call up, "You resent me these two." And you didn't send me this one. And I asked you for a replacement and you didn't send me that replacement. What are you people doing? And it took me about a month or a couple months to get her on my side when I took over that role. And what I noticed was that there was problems with the source data. Mm -hmm. The report was not set up to deal with people taking these four courses out of order. Okay, um, the, the report couldn't catch people if they started the four courses with one employer and then finished with another. Mm -hmm. The report would get tripped up if say a person has a maximum of three years to take these courses. So they started five years ago and stopped. 
and started all over again two years ago and completed. Mm -hmm. The report didn't see that. The report saw Mm -hmm. you went over three years. So I stopped sending me that monthly report. I just am going to take every doggone thing out of the database in a data dump and I'm going to peel down what I need and then look at it certain ways so that I can see, oh, yes, this person did all four courses. They actually did six. Mm-hmm. And I can draw a ring, a two year ring around these last four. OK, boom. So when I was able to start doing that and this this lady, one day she called me a friend. Mm-hmm. So, like, wow, we were all rotten, you know, <laughs> we were all rotten, you know, a few months ago. Um, but that started to give me a passion. It's like, I can figure this stuff out. Yeah. All right. And I'm not going to go kiss the DBA's ring in order for him to get me a report tomorrow. No, no. Because then the thing is, he gets me a report that's wrong and I can't unkiss his ring. See, no, uh, the, the damage is yeah. done. So, it, so yeah, it's this passion of, of fighting for these people. That's mm-hmm. the thing. It's not, a, not the Excel tricks. It's when she calls me a friend, when people stop calling with all kind of hassles. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lady that I worked with. She was an insurance agent in Maryland. We screwed something up because the data was a mess. Maybe she had six profiles in the system and the, and the reports couldn't handle that. But I was able to handle that and straighten things out for her. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where my passion comes from. It's- when she could not, when she could stop having to call me daily because I straightened the problem out. That's mm-hmm. what this is about. Yeah. So I want to, this is really interesting about the origin stories. And you remind me also when I created these Zoom courses, it wasn't about, oh, I'm number one in Zoom where this is my one and only calling and passion. It's I uh, stepped in on YouTube, for instance, and solved something very specific for Zoom for dance instructors and fitness instructors of coordinating movements versus sound and video and I did it for my friends and you know my my friends who are Zumba instructors and then the video took off and gave me all these ideas so I think it's just a really important reminder for people to, to realize that the it doesn't have to be difficult necessarily even though sometimes it can be to figure out what the solution is mm-hmm. but it's about providing value to other people and uh and in in, in turn it, it's really it's a reward that that keep you know keeps on giving to yourself as a creator. So I would love um we have so many places and areas to go to. So next I want to kind of explore now you have developed something you realize you have this gift, you figure something else out. How did you land on LinkedIn? I mean creating courses on LinkedIn is not trivial. We have audience, we have people who will be watching this now or later want to know how do I even get in like could you maybe talk about that process whatever you're willing well well yeah. yeah there's there is so much there and so let me see if i can summarize it as best i can mm-hmm. all right um so there was a layoff in 08 the company laid off all 300 of us in chicago and they moved to lacrosse wisconsin mm-hmm. okay 
I had a really nice severance package, so I didn't have to hurry up and find a job. So I could try this and try that and explore this. And I thought about getting a project management certification, risk mm. management. Certi- I thought about all kinds of things. But people start calling and wanting me to do little trainings for Excel. Uh, they got Excel questions, little Excel projects. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the challenge of, okay, I've never done that in Excel, but I can kind of see how to put some pieces together. Okay. So now Excel is becoming its own thing and not inside of like customer service Mm -hmm. or when I was a commissions analyst. Now it's Excel. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was this thing called Dabble that came up in Chicago where they said, okay, there are people who know things and people who want to know things. How about we let the public post courses and uh, people can sign up for them and they'll be inexpensive and they're for people who want to dabble. Like Mm -hmm. if if you want to do wine making, but you don't want to pay for some $600 course, Maybe you want to take a $20, like, here's what you're getting into if you go ahead and pay the $600 course for somebody else. And then maybe you said you don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Or that's good enough for you. It was fun. It was whatever. So I did a few Excel courses. And for Dabble, uh, I just yeah. found the site, uh, the site, Discovering Local Courses. Wow. Yep. Yep. Cool. yep. All kinds of things people post on there. Mm-hmm. And people liked my Excel courses. And now I'm starting to borrow from when I played bass. I liked being on stage. I was an okay bassist, not a good bassist, but I brought stage presence because I would dance and I would move and I would, you know, come down off the stage Mm-hmm. Uh, the bass brought out a performer in me and then when I started doing these courses people liked the energy that I brought mm-hmm. and um, then there were times where I would try for a laugh and didn't get it mm-hmm. or people are laughing in the wrong situations <laughs> and then I found out that Second City in Chicago, they're not just for Tina Fey and um, and Chris Farley and stuff. The public can take courses at Second City. So I took four levels of improv and a, a storytelling workshop and two stand-up classes at Second City. And that helped me to kind of refine what I do. Mm-hmm. Um. And one thing they said at Second City, as as soon as you show up, is don't come here and try to be funny. Mm-hmm. Force funny. You can't. Funny will come. You know, and sometimes you, you got to find out where you are. You know, are you the one that's being funny in a scene? Are mm-hmm. you supporting? Do you Are you the one who's got to steer a scene off of a cliche direction? So you mm-hmm. got to look all, look at all of that stuff and not try to force some laughs. So mm-hmm. that was a huge help. And then when I started doing the YouTube channel, 
uh, my early videos are really dry, just straightforward. I'm going to show you some product. Okay. Mm -hmm. I showed you some product. Okay. That was not fun for me. Mm -hmm. And then I talk with the people who've said they're sick of boring Excel stuff. So then I start thinking, what can I do to make this sustainable for me as a creator? Okay, because I don't believe this stuff about it's not about you. Mm. Well, if I'm the one who's got to do it, you know, it's got it's partially about me. Then and there's a difference between that and like self-indulgence. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, there's and, and that's what I've learned from the storytelling that I've continued to do on stage is when I get lost in planning my story for a, for a show, mm -hmm. I kind of pull back and say, why do I want to be in front of an audience telling this story? What is the audience getting out of this? Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's that dance. There's that consideration. Um, and when my channel was of like 750 subscribers, small, um, and when when YouTube changed their uh, monetization, we mm -hmm. had to have I think at least a thousand subscribers. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I was under that, and that's when I got contacted by LinkedIn, and the person who contacted me was like, "Wow, I really love your channel. I love the passion. I love the humor. I love that you 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 teaching mm -hmm. Excel." And not in a way that we already have it on the platform. And what well, year was this, Oz? Like, uh, do you remember seven hundred? Like twenty sixteen. Yeah, yeah, I remember roughly. That's when YouTube twenty sixteen to seventeen is when they remove when they added the a thousand subscriber yeah. count. Twenty sixteen. So, quick recap, you you had only a 750 subscribers on YouTube, but the channel gave you such visibility so that someone at LinkedIn Learning contacted you and said, why don't you create courses? Do you remember if that person offered one, two courses or like, let's wait and see. And like that, just why don't you create something? Let's see if it even, even sticks or if it works. It was more that it was more. Um, let's think of a course um, that'll be a short one. You know, because mm -hmm. there are maybe six hour courses on the platform, but we didn't want to come out of the box with six hours. So what is like an hour and a half, maybe two hour course? Yeah. Um, but then also what's not already there. Right. OK, because that's that's one thing I've liked about the relationship with LinkedIn is, um, yeah, you'll have multiple Excel courses, but they're not going to be you know the same thing mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. like beginner pivot tables and then there's five people with their beginner pivot tables no no mm. um so i've liked that uh so what did you do me, what was the course you did oh, you remember it was power query okay yeah. how did you uh, decide on that because I was very passionate about that because most of what I've done with data has been data cleansing mm -hmm. or merging data or mm -hmm. uh, appending data. And so um, many of my videos up to that point were on that topic. And so 
there hadn't been a course that's kind of an immersion mm -hmm. to Power Query. And so that's what I put together where I go through all six joins, um, how to append, wow. split columns. Yeah, a lot of things. Um, but yeah, that, that was the first course. And that came out, I think, August 2017. Wow, August 2017. And since then, I have found, I mean, I don't have it in front of me. You have created a series of courses covering a variety of topics. So I want to kind of go back and to say, it, and also that when you look at LinkedIn and YouTube for people who are watching, uh, how do you, what have you learned about these two platforms? They're obviously very, very different mm -hmm. in terms of the audience, maybe the algorithms and how they're being promoted. And um, I would love to get your take on what you've learned back then versus today and how to choose our focus, right? Like the productivity and focus for a creator is always tough because we have lives and right. you know, time right. is limited. Right. So, so a lot of things. So let me talk about YouTube because there's, there's a few things. Um, I had to get focused on what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. Am I trying to make a living off of ad revenue? Am I trying to leverage it into people buying my courses? What am I doing? And this is important for people who have asked me, okay, how do I start a channel? Well, what do you want it for? Mm -hmm. um, because so, and, and this is one frustration I have. A lot of the advice around YouTube is for people who want to grow a huge audience and make money off of ad revenue mm -hmm. uh, or get brand deals and stuff. But there are people who use YouTube like, here is my sizzle reel. Right. Okay, I'm a speaker. I want to get gigs as a speaker. Go to my YouTube channel and you can see five videos of what I do as a speaker. Mm -hmm. That's what they want to do on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had to get clear that I want to provide a body of knowledge. On YouTube. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I'm not trying to get rich on YouTube. Mm -hmm. It only brings me about $120 a month. Um, but what is allowed mm -hmm. has been huge. Mm -hmm. um, that is my primary community contribution for remaining an MVP. Mm -hmm. um, where you know, I, it was so touching when I was in Bulgaria, where there was a guy who found out that morning that I was going to be teaching in Sofia. Mm -hmm. He signed up and he came. And he quoted something from one of my older videos. Mm -hmm. It was like, it's like, man, like a, a true fan, somebody who yeah. knows me. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is the kind of stuff that doesn't show up in the stats. Right. You look at my number of subscribers, you know, is relatively low. Um, 31,000, I'm not that low. Uh, at, at, right, at this point, right? But, right. but when, um, when I was contacted by LinkedIn, when I had 750 subscribers, you know, mm -hmm. it was the power of what else is going on? What doesn't show up in the analytics? Mm -hmm. um, and... Too. 
Yeah, and one thing that I know you want to talk about is the analytics. And I don't look at my YouTube right. stats. Um, cause like, well, I mean, I look at them, but mm -hmm. with my last video, okay, I post it and I go look, I look to see which comments I haven't responded to, but I see the analytics mm -hmm. and there's an analytics that says something like, um, this video is performing eight out of the last 10 videos. Ten after 15 hours after yeah after 10 hours uh, 10 10 video last 10 videos over yeah. 15 hours and now there's it becomes yeah. this like pull this emotional pull of yeah. why isn't it number one or two and i have to say shut up shut up <laughs> right i am not in that race right now mm -hmm. um excel put out 14 new functions it's more important for me to share the knowledge about those 14 new functions than to be chasing these analytics. Correct. Um, and yes, my channel grows slowly. I don't do keyword searches. Mm -hmm. I do things where somebody emails me something and I think, huh, this I think is something that other people could learn from. Let mm -hmm. me make a video about it. Right. Right. Very organic. Right. Um, and I've been okay with that. And, um, you know, there was one year where I came into the year saying I'm going to end the year with 100,000 subscribers and that, that silver play button. Yeah. And I hired somebody to help me do that because I watched him do it in a very short time. Yeah. And he's got me doing keyword searches and all kind of stuff that had me feeling slimy. And <laughs> yeah, and and I don't and 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 I want to be very yeah. clear that I'm yeah. not knocking people who approach mm -hmm. it that way. Mm -hmm. I don't like marketing. I don't like marketers. I don't like being marketed to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like genuine interaction and um, yes, I would take it if I could do things my way and have a hundred thousand subscribers. Sure. Mm -hmm. But I'm not chasing the subscribers. I am like, okay, there's 14 new functions in Excel. Let me get those out and get them out in, in my style, the style that, um, my followers have mm -hmm. come to expect, you know, when you said like, it's true marketing marketers. And the funny thing is I think my parents or most people in my family, my friends would have said the exact same thing. But over the years, when I look back to my career in consulting and, and uh, advertising now marketing has been part of my title, or at least people kind of see me as someone who's in digital marketing. And so I thought to myself with that versus both of us are, are you know, somewhat heavily influenced by Seth Godin's work. And Seth is one of the most genius marketers out there. So I think there is truly that good versus bad marketing, a bad yeah. marketing, right? I would, I just want to clarify that we all get tons of emails, uh, messages through LinkedIn. People are like, would you like to up your subscriber count? Would you like to uh, sell your $20,000 uh, coaching package? I'm like, if you just look, I'm not even a coach. So right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tons of emails coming in promises, everything, uh, pictures of them with some famous person. Oh, it's just so mm -hmm. irritating. 
Yeah. So I want to take this moment and say, know that Seth Godin has influenced uh, part of your work. I want to maybe share, I want you to share what that is and how you have learned maybe the good marketing or something that works for you and your brand. Well, I like Seth Godin. Was uh, he in a right? He's not like this straight marketer that's going to tell you about A-B testing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about like human things, about, you know, burnout and, and fairness and integrity and stuff. I, I like that. But mm-hmm. really, his influence on me was when I decided to leave Chicago and move to Portland. And I kept mm-hmm. talking about I'm moving to Portland and I was even throwing out old clothes and stuff. And then one of his daily things that he did, he emails, and I still get those. Mm-hmm. Uh, it said something like, a dream is not real until there's a date. Mm-hmm. And that told me, okay, if I'm moving to Portland for real, mm-hmm. I need a date. And, uh, I was talking with my friend Charlie and figured, okay, my last course at Second City ends on this date. And then two weeks after that date is when I'm getting in my car and I'm moving to Portland. And things just like started falling into place in the most Mm. beautiful way. You know, clients started showing up. Clients just uh, had... um, been putting stuff off. They were finally ready to act and all kinds of things, great things. I had to get my car together, you know, to, to make a drive from Chicago to Portland. How did that happen, uh, Oz? Say a bit more about how the clients started to show up, how your business started to bloom in a way as a result of making that decision to move or something else you did. I don't know what happened. But I know that I I know that what happened with me was um, rather than this nebulous kind of, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll sell you this chair for ten dollars because I don't need it. I'm moving to Portland. Mm -hmm. Um, This clothes that I'm taking to the garbage. Mm -hmm. But then when I said August 15th, now every thing um was focused on august 15th now i could tell people okay Mm -hmm. if you want to do this project i don't know where i'm going to be after august 15th Mm -hmm. Mm. because i'm going to make a road trip out of it i'm going to see friends in utah and um and idaho and colorado along the way I don't know when I'm going to show up in Portland. So it could be, you know, mid to late September. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I, and I was being truthful. I was not trying to do some kind of, you know, creating false urgency. Mm-hmm. No, this was real. Um, also, what do I need to do today? Mm-hmm. So I don't have to stick around after August fifteenth. Interesting. What needs to be yeah. done in Chicago? Yeah. What 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 do I need to do? Start getting my car together. 
take it to the mechanic. Give me a list of all the stuff I need to be mm-hmm. out on the road like this. Um, and there was one time I only had the money to get two tires changed. And then um, I'm sitting in the lobby of the mechanic when a client calls and says, okay, they're ready to do something. And they uh, PayPal me the deposit. And then I go tell the mechanic, okay, all four. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about like mystical stuff, if it's mm-hmm. true or not, but there mm-hmm. was something that was way more intentional about me. Yeah. Where, you know, without seeing that from Seth and without a true date, I might have booked something that would have had me in, in Chicago into September and then into October. Um, things got very focused and deliberate when I set that date. And, and it was immovable, huh? Yeah, so yeah, please finish what you were thinking. I was going to say when that was. Um, yeah, um, well, I did, made the decision to move. That was November 2013. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was February 2014 when I set the date. Mm-hmm. And I set it in concrete. That was not a date that was movable. Right. Um, and even the day that I got up, I, I had been told, okay, Oz, you want to leave like around 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. so that the traffic isn't all bad. Okay, get up that morning, and one thing after another happens. The place, I had a whole bunch of stuff that needed to be shredded. The place that I knew to take stuff to, it wasn't open on Wednesdays or whatever it was. <laughs> I didn't know that. I get up there, places dark. And, so all kinds of stuff is is going wrong and then around um one o'clock my roommate says you are about to hit rush hour traffic you can stay another day if you need to and leave leave tomorrow morning yeah yeah you said no no (laughs) right i love it by the way why portland oregon not only it's like it's one of my top three cities so what what's about portland that that drew you in Right. Well, well, first of all, let me tell you is that I got on the road at two and then two blocks away is the entrance to the freeway and I hit it. Yeah, did it. Rush hour traffic. <laughs> um, I hit it. I was, man, it took two hours to get outside of Chicago Metro when it would be oh. like maybe 20 to 30 minutes. Can only imagine. Yeah. I was going. Yeah. Yes, I made good on a date. So why Portland? Well, I realized that I didn't need the intensity of Chicago or Manhattan anymore. I've lived in Manhattan as well. Wow. Yeah. That is intense. Yeah. Yeah. And and I loved it in my thirties, man. And, and living in a five story walk up, just boom, 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 just up the stairs and down. And today, no, I don't want to live in no five story walk up. (laughs) You know, it's got no elevator. No. Um, But yeah, I, I've loved intensity, but then mm-hmm. I got to a place to where um, I want a slower life. I want to mm-hmm. be able to talk to strangers, you know, mm-hmm. go go to restaurants, just start talking with people, um, mm-hmm. ask people for directions and not mm-hmm. have them worry if I'm trying to suck them into a scam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so Portland has been perfect. And, and yeah, I've lived a lot of places, Charleston, South Carolina, Orlando, Florida, um, Orange County, California, San Diego, mm. Cambridge. Oh yeah. You were here, right? Yeah. Massachusetts. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, so I didn't like to sprawl in Orlando and in Southern California. Um, it felt like Boston had this grudge against New York. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and I didn't need New York's intensity anymore. Right, right. So conceptually, Portland looked like my next home. And so I committed pretty much sight unseen <laughs> and took 16 days to drive here. And that mm. was... um August 31st, 2014. And I'm so happy here. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad to hear that. And I think one yeah. key takeaway for people who are still thinking about, still thinking about starting something. And I was watching a video by Ali Abdul on YouTube just now. He has like a, this brand new vlog channel, which is great. And like there are people going to these video VidCon conferences talking about, oh, I've been thinking about starting a YouTube channel in three, four, three years. I've been thinking about starting a podcast for five mm -hmm. years. So just do it. Just as I love what you shared, just like whatever it is, put a date on it and just commit to it. It yeah. doesn't matter if that episode is crap or audio didn't work out. Just publish. I don't know why we kind of got into this uh, ditch. Like, we we dug ourselves to to say like something has to be perfect or I'm not good mm -hmm. enough. Other mm -hmm. people's voices are what I'm worried about. Let's not start. No, like mm -hmm. nobody cares, really. Um, right, right. And yeah. I, I heard something years ago that crickets never hurt anybody. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Yeah. So you post stuff uh, when you're first getting started. And yeah, a couple of your friends will watch it. Your, your your uncle will watch it and he say, I don't know what you're talking about there, but you know, uh, hey, you did it. You know, yeah. <laughs> you did it. We did it. And I love yeah. um I love seeing so many YouTubers who were truly they were they talk about themselves that they were underdogs in school, in a social situation. They were mm -hmm. they were shy and they never thought they will make anything into anything. And then they did it and they you know, you look at not just their subscriber count, not just the stats, but what you're able to do once you put yourself uh, out there is phenomenal. So as I know, I can talk to you forever. We are, I don't know how many thousands of miles uh, apart right now, but I really want to take, um, you know, the last portion of our conversation to talk about your uh, origin stories, because, you know, I could have easily started there, but I wanted people to hear the business uh, insights first. But uh, one of the videos that I saw of you, I think I believe it was Seven Deadly Sins. It was on YouTube, oh, oh. Um, where you're wearing something. I think you're wearing something like uh, there are a couple of videos where you're wearing all white, but there was one of the first videos, maybe dated back 2015, 16, or earlier, where you talked about your upbringing. And I, the the video is about 15 minutes long. I couldn't believe I ended up watching the whole thing and mm. definitely cried a few times. And there was a true connection because, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I, I don't want to kind of steal the story, but one of the things for me to watch it is realize that 
a lot of us, maybe not all of us had, um, could be a, let me just like a more traumatic or uh, childhood of something where, you know, it was just hard growing up. And uh, I definitely uh, fall into uh, what, you know, that category. And a lot of people don't realize they're really shocked to be like, really? Your parents were perfect. Well, no, well, my grandparents were not. And I grew up with them, which most people don't know. But I would just watch the, I watched that video throughout and realized you're such a storyteller. And there's so much truth in that. And there are just moments you describe, like you're 15 living in these like in between and kind of in your father's house. Yeah. What you said to your mom, how you came around. I'm just like, oh my God. Uh, I don't know what it is. Like, I don't even know you, but there's so wow. much about that story. Uh, wow. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so that was the story about the two months I went to go live with my father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you can, you can ask me any questions about it. Don't worry about any kind of spoiler alerts or anything. That story has <laughs> been up for a long time, but yeah, that, um, and yeah, I've liked storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, more than improv uh mm-hmm. improv tends to you, you're in a scene with other people and and you got to be ready for it to move any kind of direction mm-hmm. um i like storytelling and and spending weeks preparing a story and trying to i remember okay why am i going to be on a stage in front of people who paid upwards of $50 a ticket mm-hmm. to see this. Um, and to think about the stakes in a story, the mm-hmm. honesty, how was I changed? Um, it's, it's, yeah, I, I like storytelling so much, you know, and and and, and yeah, there's this turns of phrases and stuff, and and weaving a story together. I really like that art form um, mm-hmm. versus like stand up where you got to get laughs. People mm-hmm. are there to laugh, right? Um, but yeah, what what you get out of that story? Uh, do you have any questions about that story? Yeah, I mean, there's just that story somehow i feel like if people don't know anything about you and they they this is the first thing they interacted with and i think you develop uh true fans very quickly that way because rarely do we uh number one i think we all come with stories every single one of us no matter how boring you think your stories uh your your life is or your stories are there is a way of telling a story and i think you executed uh with the timing choices your your words and the moments that you've selected for that particular story is yeah. really powerful of um almost becomes like uh, I, I know that we're not here to talk about the anatomy but I'm kind of interested in how you constructed that story to begin with but reminds me of you know friends become enemies and enemies become friends and there is like there's a there's collision there are a lot of conflicts and there are uh moments where it made me realize like why did your the moment, like, for instance, when your mom, you said, oh, I took my money and I worked so hard picking yeah. up trash and all yeah. these things. So why would she take the money away from me? And I deserve yeah. this. And then make, I think makes all of us, doesn't matter where we're teenagers or late 30s or 50s or 60s, realize we've all shared those moments of feeling completely misunderstood, 
especially hurts by our loved ones. Why yeah. they're adults? Why shouldn't they know better? Then yeah. you think you cross over to the brighter side of, and people with really good intentions. You're like your dad, you you know, mm-hmm. your siblings. But that just sometimes doesn't work out. And then as we get older, we realize that it's not that simple. And then like right, right. I don't know. Like those are kind yes. of. A, and that is that is a big thing that that came to mind recently about storytelling is mm-hmm. um everybody gets their humanity mm-hmm. there isn't some cartoon villain in a story my father could have easily been a villain yeah, but really. then in telling the story you know i can't get up in front of people and say and that asshole father of mine. <laughs> right. Well, you know, now I'm I'm ranting. You know, I'm but in pulling the story together, mm-hmm. I had to look back and realize he was 39 years old. Mm-hmm. He worked at a boys' prison and he hated that job. He hated the things that he saw every day at his job. And his shifts would change. Now he's got the regular shift that starts at 8 o'clock in the morning. Oh, now he's got the shift that starts at 11 o'clock at night. Now you some. I didn't realize that when I was 15. Right. Mm -hmm. You witnessed that. It's just scary. Yeah. But to tell the story now, I can say, yes, he did some things that scared me. And they still scare me. But they were coming from this guy who was hating life. Mm-hmm. Does it make it okay? No, it doesn't. But it's like, it just adds another layer where I can have some empathy. Mm. And there's a lot of multi, what I also learned is that I think what makes a a story interesting, in particular yours interesting, is that that everybody's actually very multi-dimensional and yes. right there's i think we are so used to and conditioned to something whether it's an item or a person or a situation or a decision either all good or all bad but it's not the case and it's sometimes it's for the audience to decide that after hearing let's say in your new and next in your household leaving your mom and your mom saying never come back and i yeah. you know yeah. i've heard those words for both my mom my grandma's like don't you? I will never I'll disown you. This will never happen. And they accept you back. It's like nothing yeah. ever happened. But we took it so freaking seriously at that. Yes. It's like, yeah. I will, uh, I will honor your decision, the choice. And, you know, you, and I think also, realistically, we don't think about like the, the challenge of uh, parenthood of your father working at a boy's prison, the stories, the things that he had seen, frankly, you will never, there's, Things that you will never know as his child coming back home with so many siblings. Like realistically, if we put ourselves even on our best day in the situations, I don't know how I would react and I, how will I be judged by it? But it's like something so juicy and rich about that is the everyday situation. Um, All that complexity. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot, and and thank you for bringing that up. Um, and yeah, and that's that storytelling. Yes, that's origin story. Um, and part of that story was uh, because 
there's a show called uh, Seven Deadly Sins. And um, occasionally they will have a sin based uh, topic. And that mm -hmm. show was Wrath. And it got up to that point where my father said, I can, you, you realize, because he had studied Kung Fu, he says, you realize I can hit you seven times before you can get up to move. Mm. And he went and slammed his bedroom door. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that was the wrath. But then it was a story about, you know, me trying to have a father. Um but he had all this other stuff going on. Mm. Um, you know, he had started a new family. I had these half siblings and, and they're great and, and we love each other and we, we're, in, we're in regular communication with each other. Um, but living there was just a whole different life that I couldn't deal with. And yeah, it only lasted two months. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but and but yeah, you wanted to, you mentioned this this diversity topic. Yeah, yeah. I I because I the reason I want to set some context here, and yeah. I think it is part of storytelling. And yeah. frankly, it didn't hit me until recent years. I'm in my late 30s already, but it didn't occur to me how much influence that being an Asian immigrant and my most mundane lives at, back in Beijing where I grew up, the things I did had anything to do with what I do today. You feel like I've transformed. I've, you know, in a way, as I don't say like the butterfly situation, but it's like, oh, I'm a different person now. And I've left that life behind. I've blocked certain things off. But then recently people said, well, Faye, why did you start your YouTube channel? Why do you, why do people find certain, your content compelling? I said, well, you know, I think I create content with a lot of empathy because I came here not understanding some American people when they talk super fast. And I was really embarrassed. I was so sick in my gut when I wasn't able to say something, pronounce something. I was just like, oh, you know, I need to represent. I need to be better. I need to just constantly since I got here as a 16 year old. So because of that, I think it was actually kind of that feeling and empathy permeates my my content and made it into something different. But this is, again, a very single dimensional way of describing something. So I want to invite you to chat about like what diversity of your upbringing and perhaps how it influences who you are and, uh, you know, your past, how your past influences the way you create content today. Um, see, this 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 is a, a, a touchy subject for me. Because. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in a very diverse place. It was a suburb of Chicago, blue collar, you know, school system isn't very good. Mm -hmm. um, but um, there's a Navy base there and the Navy kids went to school with us. And so I grew up around people from the Philippines and, and uh, there was a Scottish Oh, I didn't know that. Family that came through, mm -hmm. um, Native Americans. Mm -hmm. um, this German kids, uh, and uh, there was this uh, brother and sister from Iran. Oh wow! 
So that's what I grew up with. And then um, I would, we, we had a uh, set of encyclopedias and I would pull an encyclopedia and I would look and the world was just so fascinating, <laughs> you know? So um, eventually I joined the Navy that took me to, to Singapore and, and Pakistan, uh, France. Mm -hmm. I went to Bonaire in the Caribbean. So I've seen a lot and I have felt like a citizen of the world. And it's been hard because I get diversity and I get racism. But mm -hmm. then there are some movements that I can't identify with, like these diversity and inclusion folks running around. Mm -hmm. And I was women, yes, I'm black, but I'm also I'm only five four, and that's made Dayton weird. Um, I'm left-handed, I'm a veteran, I suffer a lot, even though I wasn't a combat veteran, having been a veteran that provides that that create that's the source of a lot of problems for me and so i just feel like individuals are getting lost in a lot of this stuff but yes it bothered me when um when i finally got to the world of work and i'm hearing all about the diversity racial diversity um uh they want to we love our veterans. I'm hearing all this stuff, but what happens when I walk past the conference rooms? Who's in there? Attractive white people, in spite of all the talk. Mm -hmm. um, who's got the offices and who versus who's in cubicles? White people. So, so I get that there is a problem. Mm -hmm. But then I am not part of some cartoonish group called black mm -hmm. okay because i am not from rural mississippi i'm not from harlem i am not from oxnard california you know so and and when i first moved to portland i hadn't even been here a full seven days when i met up with some folks and there was a couple of ladies who were talking about you know you know what? We hate it when people from Philadelphia, Chicago, New York come here and talk about black people in Portland don't have problems. No, our problems might not look like Philadelphia black people's problems, but yes, we got problems. Mm -hmm. and it was like, listen to us. Let us tell our stories. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't need some spokesperson who's going to try mm -hmm. They mean well, but what they do, I feel, is they reduce us down to cartoons. Mm -hmm. I see. And then so, I think storytelling. Sorry, Oz, I just realized, yeah, like, right, story storytelling kind of breaks that barrier so yes. much. Yes. I, when I when I watched your story, I wasn't thinking about I'm watching a, a black person telling his story. I'm watching a person telling his story, and that those struggles, I started to see like, oh, you know, some of my Hispanic friends also mentioned something similar, but it was different for them. And yeah. it, it was exactly, it was very multidimensional as whereas some of the, the current DEI initiatives, even with 
many with very good intentions, it does seem to reduce down to a very uh, single dimension approach, or frankly, without any instructions or manuals, like, mm-hmm. you know, what, what are we doing with this? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Um, and that that's storytelling is a storyteller tells their own story. Mm-hmm. And and I have to separate this from because there's the storytelling that we hear about, like on LinkedIn, storytelling with data, blah, blah, blah. That, that's kind of getting into uh, maybe persuasion or let me paint a picture because these graphs and stuff might be overwhelming. That's a different thing. Mm-hmm. What, what I do is I take the audience on a journey. Mm-hmm. Here's how life started. Here's how life ended up. Here's mm-hmm. what was at stake. Um, did I get what I wanted? Did I not? And I have to tell my story. Mm-hmm. I can't tell the story of my father working at a boy's prison and hating life. Um, I can only say from my perspective and what I saw. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I'm not in somebody else's head. I'm not in black people's heads or left-handed people's heads. Mm-hmm. I I was just curious, right? Like I know I've taken up a lot of your time right no, now. No, no, that's, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I, I do wonder what is it, what are some of the things that we could share with people who are maybe in charge of uh, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion? What are some of the things maybe outside of their manual, if there is one to encourage people to, to know more about each other? What would it be a workshop to invite people to share more of their stories? What can they organize? What can they actually do with that to encourage even people from within the organization to learn more about each other? I, I don't know. Like I'm not against having, hiring a consultant to come right. in and do certain things. I just right. think that needs to be the, um, the one and only solution of someone to drop in and leave and you're all on your own after, right? So uh, just wow. just brainstorming ideas. There's no good or bad things right now. Right. Yeah. Um, wow. You see, and and this is an area where I don't want to get in trouble, right? But <laughs> but like I talked with one person who described herself as a diversity and inclusion consultant, and it felt like she had this chip on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. It felt like she was on this mission to wag her finger at white people. Um, I want to tell my own story. You know, um, I don't want to f- have it filtered through with some finger wagger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm sure that they don't see themselves that way. And I'm sure that they see themselves as really helping. And yes, there is a need for diversity. Um, but I don't know. In a lot of these conversations, I don't I don't feel seen mm-hmm. other than just like some cartoonish black guy. But I don't I don't feel seen as uh, or I get dismiss, dis, dismissed as, oh, you're different. Mm-hmm. Well, no, there are a lot of black people who are doing well in life and we aren't diabetic. You know, um, 
you know, this this is a really because I lost a friend here recently um, because he felt like I wasn't anti-Trump enough. Now, now I don't want to get political or anything, but the thing is, is um, you know, he he called me something that was just too far out. You know, a, a house in, mm-hmm. you know, um. Cause I I was my position at the time was I think Donald Trump is awful, but I am not going to wrap my identity up mm-hmm. in being black and hating Trump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have any life to live over here. I got courses to record. <laughs> yeah. I I feel like the news media continues to do harm in a way with the clickbait and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't like how marketers have entitled themselves to so much data about us and we can't do anything about it. So there's a lot of stuff on my mind. Um, and then, then I, I'm driving around and then I see BLM spray painted on a, on a wall. You know, Life is complicated, and there's a lot of stuff going on. And I, Oz, if I may just kind of, um, you know, I know our experiences are very different. Um, there's a lot of uh, Asian hate crime going on right now, and it's very, very serious. And I think I'm not trying to say that podcasting and YouTube are the only solutions or ultimate solutions for people of color to, uh, you know, to end racism, really, but. I started to see the trends of, uh, and apologize in advance for the background noise. And, you know, there's, there is a microphone now, there's a camera, it doesn't have to be fancy, it can be your phone, where you can share your words, just like the way you did, as you had a stage. But frankly, I would have watched that video if you were recording it in your living room. That didn't really matter. You don't no, really need no. a stage, you don't need to be invited. Right. Right, um, right. Great. I think you can actually share your voice. And sure, not everybody will love that story, watch it all the way through or agree with you. But I think it's time for us to actually exercise that. Um, yes. Right. Yes. How many people have not shared a story in a small gathering, in a big group? And and when I invite people to join me on my podcast, especially the early years, I didn't you know invite famous people. And some people say, I'm really sorry. I'm struggling to piece together this information. Nobody asked me those questions. I never try to answer them. And then after a one hour recording, they go, wow, I just realized something else about my life I never really thought about before. And 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 over here, this black box started to all light up. It started to make sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really powerful. And I also say this because I'm part of these, uh, you know, I finally, years later, I joined these like an Asian creator group. At the beginning, I was like, we're just creators. Why do we have to call ourselves Asian? And mm-hmm. I noticed that there are certain uh, there are a lot of more hesitations with, for instance, uh, not just Asian creators, but creators of color to say English is not my first language. I don't know if the algorithm is going to favor us. I don't know if my parents going to like it. My parents are not going to like it when I have a YouTube channel. And they did it and their parents are very proud or they didn't really care, but they mm-hmm. learned so much from that experience. So I don't mean to, yeah. concern, you know, I think we we can empower ourselves to a degree or yes. at least get out of the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah and 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 you know you, you get me thinking of now about how like i am so appreciative of my audience because they have um 
they have accepted me was when I decided to start expressing myself and telling stories and being genuine in my videos. Um, now, okay, I'm making a video. Now I want to put some music, okay? So I go on to this library and find, start listening to clips. I'm looking for funky, disco, stuff that I grew up with, stuff that truly expresses me. Uh, the, the, and, and so there's the, um, like, the Black Me from the Housing Projects that grew up listening to James Brown and the Spinners um, and Cameo, uh, Brothers Johnson, okay? And then there is the performer in me with the deadpan humor. It's going to find drama where there is no drama. Okay, so another aspect of personality that I love to express. And so it turns into, you know, like, all right. You know what happens when the VLOOKUP breaks. Boom, boom, boom. You can't panic. You have got to straighten up. And deal with this stuff. Doom, doom, doom. Right? So, <laughs> so it's fun. Oh, you make it fun. Yeah. 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 So there's all the layers of, 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 of what makes Oz Oz and the expression and truly deeply appreciative of the audience that demands that 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 they've come to love it and they demand it and when i don't do something they let me know what happened to the such and such you know oh, okay you know and so we do this dance together and i do appreciate it when i get messages from other uh black people who say you know i really appreciated learning excel from a brother and say Yes, there's that too. There's all of that. Wow. And, um, you know, I'm living a really nice life and I'm so appreciative, you know. And I really appreciate you uh, for chatting with me, Oz. We literally just met and I, yeah. and I welcome you to the stage. And I know there was a little risky for us both to step into the DEI conversation mm -hmm. as a category. Mm -hmm. I never, ever talk about politics and uh, religion really on the show, but I think, you know, uh, you know, now into nearly an, an hour and a half, I realized like in the past year, I decided that, you know, I invited three of my dear friends, uh, who identify with a disability. All of them have visible disability. There were, you know, four of us on zoom watching. And I was a little nervous because other, I was a little worried of some people would say, well, Faye, you, you're not someone with a visible disability. How, how do you even have the right to start a mm. conversation with them? How mm. do you ever know? So I, it was such a fruitful, it was such a helpful conversation to open that up. I really don't, I really think it's a, you know, I'm against this so-called able body people and people who are versus people who are disabled. I really hate the concept of putting people in categories. And if mm. we could encourage each other to share the conversation, be civil yeah. and just, Yes. hear each other out and and then you make me feel like i'm less afraid of starting the conversation and not know where it's gonna go are we making things worse even so this has been really helpful i'm so glad we we ended thank it you. Uh, yeah yeah, yeah thank you know. for that 
Yeah, thank you for saying that about, you know, the nervousness and and mm -hmm. what possibly could face, you know, some kind of backlash or something um, and, and going forward and having the conversations. And yes, and it frustrates me to hear, you know, white people don't ask your black friend and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? I'm. I'm Oz speaking for Oz. Ask me, have conversations with me, please. That's the only way we can get somewhere. Yeah. Conversation. Yeah, we're, here. we're here. We definitely were doing this. I, I would, um, you know, absolutely encourage other creators to start these conversations. We are obviously going live. If you're not, a, not comfortable going live with these conversations, just record them and then yeah. Uh, yeah. release them. So more people can hear just different perspectives. So, Thank you so much, Oz. I can't believe you're in Thank Portland, you. Oregon. I mean, yeah. you know, here in Grafton, Massachusetts, and we're sharing <laughs> these moments together. Yes. And I look forward to continuing our conversation. And for anybody who's watching, please, please check out Oz's creative work on YouTube, on LinkedIn, and let him know. And uh, yeah, I. is there anything else I left out, Oz, before we conclude? No, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Part two. All right. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, thank you for this. I, I really, really, really like this. Oh, thank you. I'm going to take us offline now. So I'm going to say goodbye to the live audience. Take us offline. All and I'll right. see you guys next time.